Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of the Odyssey Writing Workshop's Charitable Trust. The Odyssey Writing Workshop is an intensive six-week program for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality, and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 15 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 75 is an excerpt from a lecture by Holly Black at Odyssey 2013 on creating a magic system. The text of this recording is copyright 2013 by Holly Black. The sound recording is copyright 2014 by Odyssey Writing Workshop's Charitable Trust. The next thing we're going to talk about is magic systems. One of the things that I was really excited about when I started the Curse Worker series was that it was my opportunity to actually create my own magic system from the ground up Whatever way I wanted, I didn't have to work around anything. And it was partially because of that that I started thinking about, okay, let me break it down and figure out how are magic systems created and how do they work. And so here are the questions that I have come up with that I believe are useful to ask yourself when you are creating a magic system. These are my circles, my weird blue circles. I will read them out. Who has the magic? What does it do? How do you make it happen? So what kind of ceremonial aspect is there to the magic? How is the user, the person who is making the magic, affected by the magic? How is the world affected by the magic? And how are magic users grouped or perceived? So I'm going to take you through what I wound up deciding for the curse workers to show you sort of how it works. In the curse worker series, one in a thousand people have it or hyperbathygamic and there is a genetic component, although it is not a purely like, you know, people are born with the ability to do curse magic who are not from curse magic families. In terms of what it does, I wound up deciding that I would have seven types of curse magic I went through a long process of being like, it could do anything, and it could be like this, and it could be like that, and winnowed it down to it needs to be able to do these things, because it's a book about cons, and you can't have a book about cons in which you don't know the rules, because you want to be breaking the rules, you want to be messing around with the rules, so you need very clearly defined rules. So the seven types of cursed magic are luck, dream, memory, emotion, physical magic, death magic, or transformation magic. And how do you make it happen? It took me a while to figure out that I needed to know this, but it is bare hands touching bare skin. And how is the user affected? There's a thing called blowback, which means whatever you do to the person that you are um, cursing, some of it comes back at you in one way or another. Um, and there's some, there's some pretty specific kinds of... Like, the blowback works differently for each type. How is the world affected? Well, in this world, magic has been outlawed. And how are magic users grouped to perceive? They're perceived as criminals... Even the words curse workers, it implies there's no good use for magic. If you call them magicians, you would feel something else. But, you know, curse workers doesn't sound good. So that's how I wound up going through that. 
if you have these six blue circles defined, I want you to ask yourself four more questions for your magic system, okay? First one being, what is the cost of magic? All magic has some kind of price. I'm going to give you an example. Dark is Rising, one of my all-time favorite middle grade books, has this amazing moment where the hero is at Christmas with his family, which is one of the safest moments you can imagine for a child. It's a holiday. Everything is warm and great. Dinner is cooking. Siblings are there. And, and he is summoned forth to fight the dark. Because even in the safest place a kid can be, he is never going to be safe. That is the price for him. He will never be safe. He will always have to fight the dark. Um, there's a book called Skin Hunger. This is Kathleen Dewey's um, book. And it is uh, the sort of anti-Harry Potter magic school book in the sense that a whole bunch of kids go to a magic school and they all die except one. <laughs> and that's how you become a wizard. <laughs> And so the price of magic is the lives of, of the other students. Only one of you will make it. The second question is, what are the limits of the magic? All magic needs to be calibrated. And I'm going I'm to go through the circles because you can limit magic basically in every different circle of questions. You could have different limitations to magic. For instance, in the who has it circle, you can say... Only small numbers of people have magic. Um, you can say that magic requires training. You can say that it requires sacrifice of some kind that people will be reluctant to give up. Um, in the what does it do circle, you can limit the scope of the power. You can say that there are defensive or protective magics, but that people can't learn both. In the ceremony or how do you make it happen circle of magic, you can have a complicated or lengthy ceremony. You can have difficult pronunciations. You can have whatever you do take enough time that you certainly couldn't do it in the moment. It would have to be something you prepared for ahead of time. In the how is the user affected uh, circle, it could be a drain on energy. We could have premature aging. We could say that, okay, you have to obey an organization's rules or suffer the consequences. You can have pain. You can have madness. Um, there's a book Justine Larbalestia wrote couple years ago called Magic or Madness, where the more you use magic, crazier you got. And and at some point you would no longer be able to do magic because you know it would you would lose your mind. In your how is the world affected circle, magic can cause blight, magic can disrupt machines. Anybody who reads the Dresden books oh, can yeah. see the, the <laughs> efficacy of magic disrupting machines. Um, you could say the world is in danger, I think Paolo Bacilupi and somebody else, I can't remember who he did this with, created a world in which the more magic was used, the more this thorny briar would grow. But it wouldn't grow where you used the magic, so you didn't have to notice until it was too late that you were screwing up the world. In the how are magic users grouped in perceived circle, you can have magic users thought to be immoral, evil, inhuman. All of these things will limit your magic. Um, this is the thing that I think is actually the hardest to do up front and, and also the most useful because if you don't, you're going to wind up in a situation where when you finish your book, your critique partner says to you, but why didn't they just do this? I know that 
Because that is what my critique partner did. And I will tell you all of the ways that I limited power in Wake Up because, <laughs> because my critique partner, Steve, was like, they would take over the world. And I was like, but what about this? And he was like, they would still take over the world. And so um, one victim at a time, which is one of the things that hand-to-skin contact actually does, it says, okay, you can't go out and work a group of people by looking at them. You have to touch someone. Having a limited number of people of magical ability, a number that I kept drastically reducing as I went through, as I went through the series, I was like, wait, no, it's less than that. No, it's still less than that. Having people have to have only one type of power, a thing that, again, was not initially intuitively obvious to me, that you were born with one thing and one thing only, uh, an awareness of magic that makes potential victims wary. You have to wear gloves in this world. It is a point of etiquette. Everyone in this world wears gloves. If you don't wear gloves, it is as though you are walking down the street with a knife. You might have a good reason to be walking down the street with a knife, but people are still going to cross the road. Even then, it was still too much, and I had to come up with amulets that worked to prevent single use of the curse. Because if I didn't, they were still too powerful. And then magic being illegal was the last one, although one I came up with early on. But once I got to the amulets, I realized, wow, limiting the use of this is actually really, really important. I don't know how many of you guys are gamers in some form or another. And if you are not a gamer, find a gamer. <laughs> because their intuitive reaction to any magic system is to figure out how to get around it. <laughs> and that's what you need. When you're creating a magic system, you want somebody who's like, but what about this? But could I do this? But how about that? You want someone to sit down with you and really walk through the various cheats that they might you know, want to take. Because that is what your reader is going to do. Your reader is running through your book like a weasel, trying to weasel their way for your character out of the situation they're in. And you don't want them to have, have an idea that you have not thought of. The third question is, what is a potential model for your magic? You want a model for how magic users are organized. You want a model for the magic itself. And the reason you want to do this is, first of all, because... You know, it helps you. It helps you uh, feel like the magic has sort of a thematic consistency. But it also helps you wind up saying the thing you want to say. So I'm going to give you some possible models for magic and models for magic user groups. You have your fairy tale magic, which we know kind of how it works. We have Wiccan magic. We have alchemy. We have ceremonial magic. We have summoning magic. We have dance, painting, music, other art forms. If you think about these, you will generate more. And models for magic using groups, we have our academies and schools of magic. We have our boards of directors, you know, sort of ruling over, uh, over uh, um, businesses or communities. We have our church clergy models of magic. We have our organized crime models of magic. We have um, your sort of solitary hermit, you know, your sage that you can seek out that no one, you know, no one knows much about. And you have a medieval master apprentice kind of magic like the Jedi. And if you think about it, think about, let's think about vampires for a minute. We kind of know intuitively what kind of magic that is. But you're going to have a very, very different book if your vampires behave like a board of directors <laughs> than, than if they are solitary hermits. So thinking about those kinds of models will help you figure out, okay, what, what else might they do? 
You know, what do her, what do solitary hermits do? Okay, I'm going to give my vampires some of those things. I'm going to ask some of those questions of my vampires. Or what do board of directors, you know, do? Well, they oust members. You know, they have complicated, like, and baroque rules. Like, and, and so you'll be able to, with those models, find things that feel intuitively true to your audience. And they won't necessarily know why it feels true. But it feels true because the thematic stuff all comes together. So our last question is, what do the rules of magic say about the world? Magic is narrative. When you're writing fantasy, fantasy is not only metaphor, but fantasy is always also metaphor. You can't get away from it. And so we want to make sure that the thing we want to say, the thing we are saying is the thing we want to say. Um, if you look at Wizard of Earthsea, we have our male and female magic separated. And then later Ursula Le Guin said, wait, I don't believe that. And changed the rules of the world to reflect what she then believed about our world to be true. If you look at Harry Potter, Harry Potter posits a world in which you get a letter or you don't get a letter. You are a muggle or you are a, ma- you are a magician. You know, you are a wizard or you're not. And... You know, if you believe that, that's fine. But it, it you know, is a very specific thing. Um, remember, my husband being super angry, as almost everyone else was, when the uh, prequels to Star Wars came out. But he was specifically super angry about the idea that midichlorians were this genetic thing, rather than you know everybody has it within them to become a Jedi. And he was talking about how the video games immediately addressed this where they turned it into like a serum that you can inject people with and it turned like people's the retconning of this was intense and immediate because no one liked the idea people who had said look this is this is a philosophy anyone can have this were then stunned to realize no not everyone can have this and so it's a question you want to ask yourself is the world I'm creating metaphorically true for me The text of this recording is copyright 2013 by Holly Black. The sound recording is copyright 2014 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.